Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 126. We prepared down through 131. They're all short psalms. In fact, 131 only has three verses. And we'll see how far we get. But we'll begin with this psalm of great joy, the 126th psalm. It says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Divine deliverance sometimes for us is like a dream that's come true. And the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. They said, we were like them that that dream. It was too good to be true. God had uh, delivered Moses in his day. He delivered uh, many in Israel in the days of the judges. One deliverance after another, if you'll remember in the book of Judges, Israel was uh, oppressed time and time again. And God would send a, a savior or deliverer and deliver them out from the oppressor, the hand of the oppressor. And our deliverance by the Lord is a complete deliverance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, the Bible says, Who delivered us, that's past tense, from so great a death, and doth deliver, that's present tense, in whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. So both the past, present, and future, He has delivered us. If I wanted to turn over there, I probably got a lot of things written. I do. He delivers from the penalty of sin by His sacrificial death. He delivers from the power of sin by His resurrection life. He delivers from the pollution of sin by His indwelling Spirit. He delivers from the pauperism of sin by the riches of His grace. He delivers from the pleasures of sin by the pleasures at His right hand. It says, My right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. He delivers from the principle of sin by His love. And He delivers from the a presence of sin by His glorious return. One of these days He's going to deliver us from the very presence of sin. He's a great emancipator. Divine deliverance is like a dream come true. And then look at verse 2. It says, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. Divine deliverance br- brings joy and singing and testimony. If you'll notice, even the heathen says, it says, Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. It's amazing when the people on the outside, when those that are foreign to the truths of God's Word, and those that uh, many times are the uh, ones that ridicule and doubt and, and uh, even oppose, have to say, the Lord hath done great things for them. Well, we, we are, the Lord hath done great things for them. And then they say, the Lord hath done great things for for us, whereof we are glad. When the enemies or when the world recognizes that God is doing something for us. And that's a testimony. It not only brings joy and singing, but a testimony. I want you to notice verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, when the Lord turned again. Verse 2 says, then was our mouth filled with laughter. There's a when in verse 1 and a then in verse 2. When He fills us with grace, when He brings about His deliverance, then we're filled with gratitude. You see the when in verse 1? And then the then in verse 2? When God has turned again the captivity, when God has delivered us, then was our mouth filled with uh, laughter and our tongue with singing. And then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. And then in verse 3 we find it says, the Lord hath done great things for us, for us whereof we are glad. God's doings for His people are very great. In fact, the Bible says in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. 
So if we'll pray and call to God, He will show us great and mighty things. I'm sometimes amazed at the great things that God works out for His people. It, it's really miraculous to look about and see uh, how He's brought us safe thus far, how He's provided for our needs, and how He's done so many things for us. If we had dreamed it, if we had imagined that it would be as great as it is for God's people, we might have come short. The Bible says that He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's, that, that just escalates, doesn't it? He is able. He is able to do. Well, that's great. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask. And then it comes down to even think. All that we ask or think. We might ask one thing, but to think of it. And then God do above that. And there, it's just an uh, escalation up the scale of God's greatness and His ability to do for us uh, what we uh, know that He only can do for us. Look at verse 4. It says, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Look at that. Great spiritual experiences are desired again. He says, Turn again. Not only one deliverance in the past, but present deliverance and a future deliverance. And so the psalmist is asking here to turn again our captivity. What he's done one time is, was sufficient for the time, but what he needs to do now is needed. You know, we can't live on the blessings of the past. That was good. What God has done is great. But what he's doing now, and that what the psalmist says, turn again and do this again. And many of us have need now. You say, well, you know, years ago or sometime past or last year or at some time in the past, we looked at a place in time when God delivered us and brought us through a trial or whatever the situation was. That was great. But he says, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. We're always in present need of divine aid and divine help and divine deliverance. And uh, that's why the Bible says that we should come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in what? Time of need. God's children are always seem to be always needy children. If there's not a need with you, it's a need with someone else. And if, not, if your need is not the same as mine, mine is different, but it's a need. And we all have needs. Everyone here has has something that they have need for God to help them in and through and with. Sometimes it's a physical problem. Sometimes it's a, it's a uh, problem of strength. Sometimes it's a problem of a financial problem, a domestic problem, or whatever it is. But we all have needs. And some have great needs. When we think of some that, that are suffering, we're praying for or, uh, in our services from time to time, they have great needs today, beloved. And then we think of these next two verses. Look at verse uh, 5. It says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. That song was perfect for this lesson, the, the beginning of this, these messages tonight. In times of great sorrow is also time to sow the precious seed. Present sorrow is not the end, but only the means to an end. The present sorrow is not the end, but the means to an end. Sorrow sometimes brings the blessing. There's sorrow. Sorrow in our sowing and rejoicing shall be in our reaping. Sorrow in our sowing, rejoicing in our reaping. Not all sowing, but, but sowing in tears. They that sow in tears. I want you to notice. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. 
And then it says, he that goeth forth. They and then he. They that sow in tears, sing, uh, plural, and he that goeth forth and weepeth. So that shows that they, all of us have the responsibility, and then he that goeth forth and weepeth, each one of us have an individual responsibility. All of us together, they is plural. Uh, singular, he that goeth forth. And so each of us are responsible to meet the conditions. We might say this is the soul winner's joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, look at verse 6. Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. He must go, first of all. He that goeth forth, there must be the go. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye. So it's our business to go. And we go even when we send our missionaries. They're going. And we're going because the church has a part in that going. And though they individually do it and family-wise do it, we still have a part in it. And the church sends them. And we go individually when we go out and witness. And so there must be the going. And then for, uh, the next thing, there must have great concern. He that goeth forth and weepeth and weepeth. He must not only go, but he must go with great concern. He that goes forth and weeps, bearing precious seed. Jeremiah 9 verse 1 in Jeremiah says, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Uh, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He says, Oh, that my head were waters and, my, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night. For the slain of the daughter of my people. Paul's heartbreak for Israel. In Romans chapter 10. He says in verse 1. Brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is. That they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. But not according to knowledge. So his prayer and heart's desire. He says for Israel is. That they might be saved. In chapter 9 verse 1. He says I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I, listen, what, what Paul felt for Israel, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish myself, uh, that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are the Israelites, and so on and so forth. So that was Paul's heartbreak for Israel. When we think of, uh, in Acts chapter 20, the Bible says, in, as he gave his charge to the Ephesian elders, and I won't read it all, uh, but just a portion uh, briefly. Let's pick up with verse 27. He says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own self shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away a disciples after them. Now, verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. And so Paul had a great heartfelt feeling for Israel and for the churches that he preached to. And that was the, the last one is in reference to the Ephesian elders. 
Hold your place in the psalm where we're studying. And we'll analyze this verse and keep on going down it. First of all, notice Psalm 126, verse 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth. So it says going forth. It says weeping. Bearing precious seed. The precious seed is the word of God. He must have the word of God. If we do not sow the word of God, we do not have the right seed to bring forth the fruit anyway. And it, he goes forth and he, he drops a seed. He drops a seed and a tear. And a seed and a tear. And there's anxious prayer in the midst of all of it. It reminds me of the plainsmen when they came out, you know. And they had a very limited supply of seed. And they built a little old shod hut or shanty or out of timber in the, in the woods or whatever they had to build just some way to get in out of the, the weather. And they'd begin to clear the land and sow the seed. And if that seed didn't bring forth, they were almost done for. It was very important that they, when they dropped the seed, that it bring forth. And I'm sure there was much praying going on. This precious seed, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, a seed and a tear. Please, Lord, let this uh, bring forth some fruit and some grain so that we'll have food for the next uh, time, the next season. We ought to be as careful about sowing the word of God. Be sure to pray that God will take his word and use it and bring forth some fruit from the seed is sown. And I believe this, the more we have the weeping, with the, bearing, with the sowing of the precious seed, the more we have the results in, in the end of it. It says something else here. Notice. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless... My, I like that. He must exercise faith. First, he must go. He must have great concern. He must have the word of God. And he must exercise faith. That word, doubtless. Without a doubt. In due season, Paul says, we shall reap if we what? Faint not. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Now then, God, only God can give the increase, but He expects us not to be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. He said in the Corinthians that one planteth and another watereth, but God giveth the increase. So one plants and another waters. So we've all got to work together so that we will, without a doubt, and if we sow in faith, I can look back and see through the years of this church from the beginning, a little few souls started with eight on, as charter members and then come on down through the years. And for 36 years, 37 years, we've seen people come and go, children, boys and girls saved, many baptized, young people. And I was looking through some, uh, I don't know, Mrs. Reeves is not here, so I'll mention it anyway. I was looking through some of the funeral things that I had to preach. She lost a little six-year-old granddaughter one time, years and years ago. And uh, I preached her funeral, and right after that, Ms. Reeves joined the church. I can look back and see what God has done through the years with various people, various families, due to certain sorrows, maybe, that came in their lives. She was here this morning in the service. But anyway, uh, you, you can just look and see what God has done through the years if we keep on doing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And then he must be persistent. It says, come again with rejoicing. We have to go out and come again. When Jesus went out for the lost sheep, what did he say in Luke 15? Luke 15, 
Verse 4, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? Now, what did we say? He must be persistent. Come again. It says, until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, you see, Jesus went out for that lost sheep and he says, I'm going out there and I'm going to seek it until I find it. There's no end to the seeking. There's no end to our real need to be persistent. Persistence is a great deal and continuance and consistency. Now then, you know, someone asked me about my preaching. And I said, well, I'm going to be preaching till I die. The Lord willing, if it's His will. I don't plan any retirement. I don't plan to quit. Sometimes the, the, the longer I try to preach, the more I want to preach. You know, God wants us to keep on, keep on going and be persistent, be continuous. And I would say that for every one of you as Christians, everyone and especially the layman and, and uh, my associate pastor, all of us, keep on keeping on until the end of it comes. We're not supposed to quit. Now, we may change some in the places, and I think of Dr. Bruce Cummins, Maslin Baptist Temple, that retired after so many years, but he's out, he's doing evangelistic work now, and I'm not an evangelist, so I wouldn't, I'd be out on that part. I'm just a preacher and a teacher. I teach the Sunday school and preach the Word, and that's all I can do. That's all I want to do. That's my calling. That's what I try to, to major in. And I don't try to go off and sidetrack in something I don't know anything about. But here, it says, come again. And look at the rejoice. Uh, look at the results. Come again with rejoicing. Now, doesn't that correspond to what uh, Jesus said also in Luke 15? It says in verse 6, And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Come again with rejoicing. Jesus came again with rejoicing, and he says, "Come." He called his friends and neighbors to rejoice with him, for he found that sheep which was lost. And then the last thing, he cometh again with rejoicing. You have Psalm one twenty six verse six, and we're just taking this apart and analyzing it. And then the last thought is bringing his sheaves with him. Though a great harvest will be reaped, sheaves. That's plural. That means more than one. I'd like to read for you in the book of Acts, chapter uh, 5, and verse 14. It says this, And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. And so, uh, in the early churches, many times, believers were added to the Lord in multitudes. And you and I need to at least be consistent in witnessing wherever we go in the community, and whoever we come in contact with. And you know you can always, you say, well, I'm not a preacher, and I can't witness very good, and you know, you look at yourself, and you say, what can I do? You can at least invite someone to church, and you can at least pray that God will give you the opportunity to, to give that witness. And it doesn't have to be like uh, some of the great uh, evangelists in the world. It can be a simple word of encouragement. Letting them know what you have at the Riddos Baptist Church. Telling them that you've come down to hear the Word and you have a good friendly church. People love one another. That you have good specials, a song service. And, and you know, just do your part. Do your part. And, you know, the Lord never saves any one of us to sit. He saves us to serve. You're saved to serve. And in some capacity or another. 
So I believe this is a good song. Uh, the, the last two verses. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I want you to look at the 127th Psalm. The need of divine aid and blessings. And that's what we find in this Psalm. It says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Hard work is in vain without the Lord's blessings. You know, we must have God's blessings in order for anything to be a success. A lot of people think they can be a success without God. You just cannot do it. You may think you are. There's a lot of people think they are without God. But they're fooling themselves because one of these days their tower will come tumbling down. Remember like the Tower of Babel? Boy, they said, "Up, oh, let us make us a city that will reach, make us, that will reach into heaven. Let me read it in Genesis chapter 11. I want verse 4, but let me read down to verse 4. The whole earth was one, of one language and one speech, and came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and turn uh, and burn uh, them through, uh, throughly. Uh, and they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, now verse 4 is what I wanted to get to. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, that we, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Let us build us a city and a tower. Let us build something that will make us a name. You know, there's a lot of folks who want to do something to make a name. If God wants you to have a name, He will make your name. And you know, He's given each one of us a name anyway. The less I can say about my name, the better off I feel. Because, you know, people want to make a name for themselves. And that's exactly, that was pride in, in their hearts. They said, let us build us a city and a tower that will reach unto heaven. And, and it says, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built it. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one, they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there, there, there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. If you don't think God is powerful enough to stop that tower and to, call it to cause it to come tumbling down, it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build. Remember the rich man and his barns in Luke chapter 12? He says, I've got a great crop out in the field. And he says, uh, I have nowhere to bestow my goods. And he says, this will I do. Notice the eyes. This will I do. I will tear down my barns, uh, eyes and mice. And I will, build, I will build greater barns. And there I will bestow all my goods. And I will say to my soul, so thou hast much goods laid up for many years. And God said, Thou fool. He talked like a fool. He walked like a fool. He acted like a fool. He planned like a fool. You know what his problem was? It wasn't as wrong to, to have a good crop in the field. That's a great blessing from God. It wasn't that it was wrong that he even tore down the barn and built another one so he could bestow the, all the, the fruit of the ground. Nothing wrong with that. If you don't have room, you have to build a bigger one. The whole thing that was wrong with him, he left God completely out of his sight and plans and, and, and thoughts. He just left God out. 
You see, you don't have anything that you didn't receive. You don't have a thing that you didn't get from God. We had that this morning. You know, lest they say that the works of my hands have gotten me this wealth, he says, God says in Deuteronomy, he says, he's the one that gives you the ability to get this wealth. And you couldn't get anything if it was not if it were not from God. Doesn't mean that every man shouldn't apply his own energies and efforts and wisdom that God gives him to make a living for his family and to prosper and to go forward. But only as God does it will it be a success. Then shalt thou find thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. If what you'll obey the word of God, he said to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And he said, if you'll do this, that you may do according to all his word. And he says, then, then the results will come, and then shalt thou have good success. God is able to prosper our way if we'll just follow him. And I want you to notice the last part. There is no security. The watchman waketh, but in vain. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. There is no security apart from the Lord. There is no prosperity and blessings apart from the Lord. Neither is there any security. Look at that verse again. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And then he says, except the Lord keep the city. Our safety and security rests in God. We could fear every... Uh, turning of the knob on the door. We could fear every little uh, knock on the wall. We could fear everything that we hear. There would be uh, fears on every side if we did not know that God keeps us and He takes care of us. You know, when you're asleep, you don't know anything that's going on. When He gives you sleep at night and you go to sleep, you don't know who who's out there prowling around, who's going to knock the window in or break the door in or come in and rob and steal or or bring violence or harm. But God knows. And if you trust His protection and keep praying for His protection all the way through, you have the greatest defense in the world because the Lord is my keeper. He's the one that's our keeper. He says He will take care of us. He'll take care of us day and night. And then in verse 2, I want you to notice, it's foolish to be over-anxious and to fret and lose needed sleep and thinking you have to do it all without uh, trusting in God. It says in verse 2, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. You have need of sleep. And it doesn't mean that you should not put in a full day. It doesn't mean that you should not labor uh, long. But it means to over to be fretful and over anxious and to worry about everything so much so that you don't even give your body uh, sufficient rest. There's a time that comes you need some sleep and you need to rest. I've seen young people in school and they'll they'll stay up way in the middle of the night trying to get get their lessons. Well, it doesn't hurt to have your homework and you need to to do it until you finish it. But also, remember, if you've got a test coming, you need some sleep too. You do the best you can, get it all together the best you can, and then you get some rest. Because if you don't have some rest, your mental capacity the next day is not going to be fit to take the test if you knew it all. You're not going to be able to do it. And so, don't be over-anxious. I think it's much like Jesus said. He said, take no thought. He says, consider the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. He says, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, wherewithal you shall be clothed. And when he said, take no thought, he was 
saying, be not over anxious. Be not over anxious. He says, after all these things do the Gentiles seek. But he says, your heavenly Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. And so he's going to take care of that. But you and I sometimes fret about it too much. And then the last thing Jesus said, Matthew 6, verse 33, He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. What these things? Clothing, food, your domestic needs, all these things shall be added unto you. And if we'll learn to trust God for the, for the, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, you'll just almost be assured that these other little things are going to fall into, they'll fall into, into our hands and, and our needs will be supplied. You consider the birds. I've seen those little birds out in the tree in my front yard. Well, my wife goes down there and she pours a lot of water in that bird bath. They had no water, but they have water. Some way or another in Providence, they go pick around on those berries on the, those old cedar trees and the first thing you know, and they go down on the grass and find their food and there's always something there for them. And they don't seem to worry about it. Jesus said they didn't worry about it. They don't worry about it because the Heavenly Father feeds them. And He says, Are you not of more value than many sparrows? If God looks upon them and He supplies their needs, why should we fret so about our own? And I think it's, it's a great sin for us not to trust God for, for these things. We need to learn that God's going to take care of us. Now, that doesn't mean we go out here and expect Him just to lay it in our lap. If He tells us we have a job and we're supposed to work, well, let's go work. But uh, if, you're getting your, if you're doing what God wants you to do, then He's going to take care of that. And when you do what God wants you to do, you have the assurance that He's going to take care of you. It says, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Someone says, well, uh, that means that everybody in the world He's going to take care of. Well, let's look at this. You know what it says there? Uh, Paul said, and that's in Philippians chapter 4. He said, you did minister unto my necessity. He said, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And then he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. You see, uh, a lot of folks want to claim all the blessings without any of their responsibilities. They were supporting Him as a missionary. They were taking care... As a church, they were... uh, They realized Paul had needs and they were giving to Him. And he had... He had... uh, He always had plenty. And he said sometimes he had learned how to be in want or how to have over much. But he said, in all these things... Because they have done what is right, he says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, and prove me now herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And see, God promises when we give, he's going to give. Jesus said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and what? Running over. Shall what? Men give unto your bosoms. Have you ever heard a person say, Nobody ever gave me anything? What did you ever give? See, that works two ways. What goes around comes around. And if you give, it'll be given to you. I've never seen it fail. And by the way, you can't outgive God either. You start giving in one way and you say, I want to do this for God. God will return that tenfold. He'll return it uh, tenfold. I think it's Eddie Arnold sings a song. He says, May the good Lord bless and keep you. He says, May your troubles be few and 
your blessings be ten times ten. And God will make them ten times ten. They'll be more than you'll ever imagine. And I've, I've been convinced all my Christian life, ever since I started preaching, that if you'll do what God wants you to do, He'll bless you. Now, I'm not talking about you having a million dollars. I'm talking about your blessings. I'm talking about your life, your health, your strength, your, your needs, food on the table, clothes on your back, shelter over your head. And we can even sing a song sometimes, I'm satisfied with a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. And God's going to bless it. Let's see, we're on down. Let's take verse 3. By the way, in connection with that, it's foolish then to be over-anxious and fret, isn't it? And to lose needed sleep. Look at verse 3 again. It says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Children are a blessing from the Lord. It says, A wise son maketh a glad father. When uh, men, when uh, we have sons and daughters, they're blessings from the Lord. Jacob said, the children were God's gracious gift to him. In Genesis 33, verse 5, let me read this for you. 33, verse 5, it says, And he lifted up his eyes and saw women and the children and said, Who are these with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. What did he say? The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Now, a lot of people do not recognize that children are a blessing from the Lord. And they certainly are. And then honorable children make their parents proud in their last days. Look at verse 4. <clears throat> As arrows are in the hand of the might, of mighty man, so are children of the youth. Honorable children make their parents proud in their last days. And it's concerning the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 verse 28 that says, Her children shall rise up and call her blessed. Her children shall rise up and call her blessed. It's a wonderful thing to see children think so much of their mothers and rise up and call her blessed. Motherhood is one of the greatest jobs and one of the least thought of, but one of the most privileged and blessed positions a person can have. Someone said, what, what does your wife do? She's a housekeeper. She's a homemaker. And her job is far greater than that any I've ever attacked, tried to, to, to do. And, you know, a woman that does her work at home and takes care of that, and then if she does it out in public, if she has a position, job in public, all of it put together is more than uh, more people than, than people realize. Our children are like arrows, and, we, and they're what we make them. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them, they shall not be ashamed. See, it says, As arrows are in the hand of the mighty, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that uh, hath his quiver full of them. In other words, a, a great large family sometimes is a great blessing. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Like arrows, they're what we make them. In verse five, 4 again. As arrows are in the hand of the mighty man, so are children of the, of the youth. What does it mean here? It means that we should train up children, right? Children need correction. Proverbs 29, verse 15. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's our responsibility to train up children right. Not only at home, but it's our business to train them up in church. And by the way, so the Lord deals with us as His children. In Hebrews 12, verse 9, that God dealeth with us as with sons. And he says, every son he chasteneth and he corrects. 
And he tells us how that we need to accept that uh, correction that God gives. If we don't accept it, it says, No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. But afterward, listen, afterward it yieldeth that peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. In other words, if we'll listen to it, it will yield that peaceable fruit of righteousness. But by the way, it's only to them that are exercised thereby. Only to those that heed that chastening. See, if God chastens you and you rebel against it, it's not going to bring that peaceable fruit of righteousness. If God chastens you and you yield to Him and say, Yes, Lord, I'm wrong and I need your help, then it's going to be a blessing to you. That's the way children are in the home. If you have a child in in the home and you correct them, and they say, Daddy, Mother, I know I was wrong. I want to do what's right. And I'll do my best to do right. That child is exercised thereby. But as quick as you get out of their sight, if they turn their back and raise up their fist and hit the wall and say, I'm going to do it again just as quick as they're gone, they're not exercised thereby. And they're not going to be blessed. And it's not going to yield that peaceable fruit of righteousness. And the same thing is true with you and I as God's children. We need not rebel against God. The Holy Spirit's able to cause us. The Bible says to, to, to submit. He's, it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption. Let's get the last one. It says, Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Many gracious children bring happiness to parents, and the children are ready to speak a good word for their parents. In the gate means in the public place. By the way, in the gate where the trials were held. Here's a verse that would be good. My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. Be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. So the support of your children is great. And we need children that will support the adults. We need adults that will treat the children right. It says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger or wrath, lest they be discouraged. We had that in our lesson this morning, in our message. And so, parents are told how to treat their children, but also children are told how to treat their parents. And I believe, oh, I was going to get three, four more of these songs, but I didn't get that far, did I? Thank you for your patience and your kind attention. We'll stand and be dismissed.